Welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, aging, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoyed listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Hi everyone, thanks for listening today. Today I have a special guest, Dr. Catherine Theodosis, who is my old chiropractor, who uh, I love very much. And I've got her here today to talk about, which we're really going to talk about the nervous system a lot, but we're talking about um, different modalities of healing and working with the nervous system. And Catherine is very talented at what she does. And um, I just wanted to have her on to help people, give them another perspective on another way they can approach working with their nervous system. This um, modality that Catherine practices, I've been doing or receiving, I should say, for almost 20 years. And it's really helped me as I've gone through, you know, different phases of my life to stay grounded, connected, and to build capacity in my nervous system to be present with the emotions that I'm experiencing as I go through life. That's helped me as a parent, helped me have more patience in my parenting. It's helped me in my relationship with my um, significant other. It's helped me in my friendships. It's helped me as a coach and a trauma resolution practitioner myself. So welcome, Catherine. Thanks for being here. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. I guess a good place to start is just to understand a little about you and your journey. So you started during chiro training and you just kind of, you know, through your own professional development have developed this really lovely different modalities that you work with that are um, incredible. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey and why you chose this as your profession and, and then you know, your different areas of interest that you work in? Yeah, absolutely. So like many in the chiropractic field, uh, my dad is actually a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. So I knew chiropractic um, from a very young age just because dad dad is one and I would often spend my, my summer holidays with him at the front desk um, thinking I was helping out, but I think I was probably being more of a nuisance, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and ended up going through through my studies of chiropractic and towards the end when I thought I had myself sort of figured out in regards to how I was going to practice um, which was in alignment with how my dad practices which is more that I guess traditional chiropractic that a lot of people know of which is that clicking clicking and cracking that Mm -hmm. a lot of people hear and see Um, I came across this incredible modality within chiropractic called network spinal Mm-hmm. and this was one of those moments for me where it felt like someone just pulled the lever on the train tracks and completely shifted the way I was going um it was it was a pretty profound experience for me even though it was nothing necessarily visible that arose for me I could feel my own experience on the table when I first encountered with network spinal uh it was quite incredible 
Mm. And it just kept, it, it elicited my own curiosity. And I was mm. like, well, what is this? How can this work? Um, basically, mm. for those that don't know, network spinal is a very gentle form of chiropractic. Mm-hmm. It uses specific contacts along the spine that help elicit this beautiful breath wave through the body. And that breath wave really helps to uh, drop the nervous system into a much more easeful parasympathetic state, mm-hmm. uh, decrease tension through the body, greater mental clarity, uh, lots of magical things. So I fell into this and was really curious about what it was doing, what it felt like. And so I went on, did my network spinal training. Mm-hmm. And along that journey, then came across integral energetics, mm-hmm. which is, again, another beautiful modality and field of knowledge created by two incredible network spinal chiropractors, mm-hmm. Dr. John Hare and Dr. Fred Swan. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to be able to actually undertake their training. So I did a two-year practitionership with them in Integral Energetics, which um, was a beautiful accompaniment to Network Spinal because it meant that I could layer my more physical understanding um, and contacts of the body with an energetic layer um, of that Mm. field around the body. So Mm. they just were able to intertwine beautifully. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it is beautiful network. There's no doubt about it like there's do you know I think because it's very bottom up isn't it like the it's like the body's doing the work absolutely yeah Yeah, very much so it's it's and that was one of the things that really captivated me was the fact that the the chiropractor wasn't having to do much in terms of there weren't these big impulses or forces that you would often find with traditional chiropractic And yet the body was able to just integrate and unravel and reorganize and learn how to support itself and continue to unravel even after the session. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely been my experience of it. So then, I mean, it's a little bit like somatic experiencing in the same sense where you as the practitioner are kind of like the ally to the nervous system, just Mm -hmm. making sure that that unraveling is in a, appropriate pacing it's nice and slow and yeah absolutely and it's and it's it's made for your body in terms of there's no uh forced responses or pushing from the practitioner your body is able to unravel and unwind in its own time which I think is so beautiful yeah and it's not um it's not it's not something that it's you meet like an end point because your body continually is able to adapt more and become more flexible and more coherent and more energized um, and more flexible as you keep going down this journey of yeah. network spinal and integral energetics. Hence why I've been doing it for 20 years. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because, well, because we're continuously growing and Absolutely. learning and changing. And I think for me, it's been really supportive in my continued growth Mm. and learning and just being able to um, integrate and work at sort of greater complexity, whether it's emotionally or cognitively. Um, 
Yeah, it really, really helped me. I remember when I was pregnant, actually, uh, both times, my obstetrician, I mean, she was just looking at it from a structural perspective, mm. but she's like, I've never seen a spine in such good shape as yours during pregnancy. Like, what the hell are you doing? And I told her and she went, okay, she wrote down, I'm going to remember to refer people to. And I said, yeah, well, you know, it's beautiful because it's just very gentle mm. and you don't want anything kind of cracking and yeah. shifting around when you're pregnant. So. Yeah. And, and even just if your nervous system is quite heightened or, um, quite defensive yeah the last thing yeah it actually would probably want is more that hard-hitting type of care not that it's not effective and has its place because it totally does and definitely has its own power and own magic but this work it really it allows the body and nervous system to drop its defenses because it's not feeling like it's another force that it doesn't know how to integrate it just feels jarred by it yeah yeah. So for example, interestingly, because I'm just with my weekly emails at the moment, I've been talking about the different nervous system responses and we've done fawning, fear, and I've just sent out the one on flight mm-hmm. and the different ways that it shows up when we feel threatened, but also like in the, you know, in safety. So fear in, sorry, flight in safety is about mm-hmm. discernment and choice and, you know, thinking about strategy and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And obviously when we're threatened, it's like, fear, terror, panic, anxious, worry, all those things. And yeah, you like it doesn't have the the nervous system doesn't go into that when you're on the table with network or with integral energetics. It's just breathing. Yeah. Movement if it needs to move a little. Yeah. And sometimes sound. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where um with network spinal and even in integral energetics we really focus as practitioners on making sure that the client on the table has a really deep connection with their breath and awareness of their breath. Because that's the thing that's actually essentially anchoring the body and the nervous system in that place of safety. So then when things do start to percolate and make their way to the surface that might feel that little bit uncomfortable, Mm you've got that strategy there of like, oh, okay, it's feeling a little bit rocky, but let's bring it back to the breath. Let's bring it back to that center point, that anchor point that actually holds that sense of stability and safety. Which is the breath. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do we help them deal with the sensations of the feelings and emotions that might be coming up? Because you know, whether it's trauma or whether it's just stress, you know, Mm -hmm. like a stress cycle being completed, like little T stuff, I call that. One thing I notice with people I work with, they're like, I'm starting to feel the feelings, (laughs) you know, and when we've repressed them for a long time, that can feel really uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, like a big part of it is, like I always say to everyone, like slow is more. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. do you want to talk about that a little bit? And, totally. how, and in the context of feeling the feels and things yeah. start to change in the body, that sort of slow, why slow is more? Yeah. So I liken it to the idea of if you're like in your car and you just jumped in, you're going to go somewhere, wherever you kind of routinely head to, you have two options. You can either hit the accelerant full force and mm-hmm. stop for no one, just 
no, don't even worry about red lights. Don't worry about signs. Don't worry about speed. Just go as fast as you can and get there as quick as you can. What will probably be left behind you is not a great scene. You're probably, yeah, you're <laughs> probably going to hit a few cars. You're probably going to get a few speeding fines, red light fines. Um, you're probably going to cause a few injuries. Uh, and And at some point, you're going to have to go back and work all that out in terms of pay the fines, give your insurance to people, sort that out. The ongoing effects of that, I'm just going to get there as fast as I can. Um, or, and equally in that situation, in that dynamic, you, you're so focused on getting to point B rather than the journey itself. Yeah. That you actually, if I then asked you, okay, well, do you remember how many cars you hit or do you remember how many red lights you stopped at or the billboard that had whatever going on? You'd have no idea because your your nervous system was so honed in on just getting you to that location as fast as you can. Yeah. It's Whereas, like, it's myopic, right? It's just yeah, like, can't absolutely. see it. Which is when we're in a trauma response, that's what happens. Absolutely. It's that yeah. tunnel vision because the yeah. nervous system is like, I need to focus everything, all my attention, attention on this, yeah, on this threat that's in front of yeah. me. Yeah. Um, whereas if we uh, jump in our car, ready to go to from point A to point B, and we actually utilize both the brake and the accelerant and make sure that we follow the speed limits and um stop at the giveaways or give way at the giveaway signs, stop at the stop signs, um, stop at the, the red lights and allow ourselves to actually take that journey mm. and not be in a rush and that be the entire focus. You're going to actually find that you're not going to have the carnage. <laughs> so you're not going to have to clean up so much after or spend so much time backtracking and cleaning up. Mm. And you're also going to get there a lot safe, safely, a lot more safely, and also with a lot more awareness of what where you've gone and what you've travelled through. So in that context, you're going to notice the little kid on the bike that's laughing with his mum, or the cute little puppy that's being walked by its owner, and all those kind of little small things. So if you then put that back onto the nervous system and integrating those micro and, and macro traumas, um, little T's and big T's. Mm. It's the same principle. We can, yeah, you you can hit the accelerant and and bring everything up, if you will. Yet the likelihood that you're going to be actually able to integrate all that in an effective um, and constructive way is really slim. Mm versus taking your time and making sure you're following the cues of your body um, and this this in some ways is in many ways is really the role of the practitioner particularly in mm. this this kind of setting is mm. knowing what those cues are mm. and making sure that we listen to them and essentially don't let ego get in our way of like oh we're going to make this big thing happen so that you can feel something and felt like you've had an experience versus okay you know what your breath isn't quite connected in this we need to pull mm. it back and just focus on the breath for this moment rather than leaning into that stretch that's wanting to come through or that movement that potentially is wanting to come through yeah or that emotion or that sound or whatever the case is so it's really about 
taking the time to make the journey so that you then don't have a whole lot of backlog essentially to to clean up yeah. and to repair and put back together. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think just reflecting on what you said, there's a couple of things that came up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, one, trauma loves intensity. Oh, absolutely. So it loves the blastery, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when we've got the big T stuff, we just have to be mindful of that, that we're, we're not doing the blastery pattern again. Mm-hmm. And that um, another thing is that sometimes the slowness, it feels like paint's drying. That's how slow that we're going. It can. It can. Yeah. But, it's also, but, it's, but there's so much happening in the body. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and for me as a practitioner, those moments where real slowness and almost essentially stillness comes in, you can, you can actually feel the quality of integration happening yeah you can feel that little tiny shifts micro shifts of integration and reorganization happening almost at a cellular level yeah what it really feels like um through the physical but also through the energetic field as well and that's what's important you know the the big um big moments of sound yeah of sound or movement or emotion it might feel good potentially in the moment or the intensity might feel like, oh, something's really going on and happening. Mm. But it's not always productive and it's not mm. always the most integrated and the, the safest way to connect Correct. with those parts. Because we can re-traumatise ourselves. Absolutely. And you are often just following the predominant neural pathway mm-hmm. and what we're trying to do is create new neural pathways, right. aren't we? Yeah. To give more choice and breadth in yeah. the nervous system and that's where we build our capacity. And people yeah. always say, what's capacity? And I'm like, capacity is our ability to be present mm-hmm. right now in the moment with what we're feeling, yeah. not go down our trauma response or our old habits and patterns of behaviour that, maybe we created when we were kids to keep Mm. us safe that were perfectly developmentally appropriate when we were seven or eight, but don't really look after us so well when we're like 37 or 47. Not so much. Not always. (laughs) Rarely. Yeah. And even, even, you know, if you have the capacity to sit with that slowness, um, you're actually going to be able to better engage with your experience when new things start to arise in life. Oh, tell us about that. So your nervous system, there's kind of two threads here. So your nervous or your brain loves new experiences, novel experiences. Yeah. That's what really, and more and more research is coming out to support the fact that if we make sure that we consistently engage with novel experiences, it really helps our brain, um, stay young essentially and and still still have the capacity to create new pathways rather than just get rid of them because they're not they're not being utilized like like you see in in you know newborns and and toddlers when they go through those quite big milestones of neural pruning which is normal it still kind of goes on as we get older but just not to the same degree so it's a bit more subtle and I think Correct me if I'm wrong, but I know 
obviously during the motherhood transition and during perimenopause, this happens significantly as well for both times. Um, yes, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which makes sense because they're they're totally makes sense yeah even hormonally like very big shifts and changes through through those systems and the endocrine system there's quite a large um a lot a lot of that is based in fat in terms of the hormones are made from some kind of fat cells yes you will um and our brain is all fat yeah so the cells are made of of myelin sheaths which is a very fatty acid yeah sheath over each and every neuron so it makes sense that they would then coincide if you will mm. yeah. so back to what you were saying i imagine this is really important as we get older right Absolutely. in terms of novel experiences and you were telling me about some research that you noticed about um sorry regarding dementia and alzheimer's and why building novel new experience mm. is important can you talk a little just slightly about that yeah 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 so um very much there's again more research coming out to show that if we can continue to engage with learning new things whether mm. it be learning a new language or doing a new a recipe that you haven't made before that's a little bit more complicated than usual mm. or mm. learning a new craft or there's a bill an instrument there's a billion things that you could do if you allow yourself to continually engage with learning and doing something that's outside your comfort zone if you will mm. the likelihood that your brain is going to scrub away those neural pathways is reduced yes because you're engaging them you're yeah. you're, for, you're essentially forcing the brain and the nervous system to fire those pathways that it otherwise wouldn't have so it's allowing the brain to wire in ways that it hasn't so that it doesn't it doesn't get rid of it because it's not going to keep unused pathways yeah it's it's too much energy it's yeah. you know the brain the, the brain the body the whole human body its job is to do things with as little effort as possible so mm. if you're not if you're not using something it's going to get rid of it sooner rather than later because it's no point. You, you see this even, even in like weightlifters who are doing consistent training or any kind of bodybuilding, whatever the case is. If they're consistently training, you will see that their form will be there. But the minute they stop, and it doesn't have to be for long, you will see that the, the muscles start to lose tone yeah. because it's not being used and it, yeah. it's frustrating because you can train for years and then not train for you know a couple of months and it's like what's just happened <laughs> your body just goes yeah I mean I had a you'll just a really simple example uh, and you'll probably laugh at this so I decided last year to start skipping I mean I've always done a lot of exercise but I thought I'm going to start skipping again because I really like it and I find like I like to do cardio. I can't run anymore, just old knees mm -hmm. and hips. So I'm swimming a lot, but I thought, oh, you know, I don't want to swim every day because I've got to rest the shoulders sometimes. They get a bit tired. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'm going to start skipping, particularly on the rainy days as I can, you know, get my yoga mat out and skip inside. Well, the first month, like it was hilarious because I probably haven't skipped since I was about 12 and 
my left ankle swelled up and I went to see Dr. John, who we were just talking about. And he said, oh, I think you've like an old injury. So it's like my body kind of worked an old injury out. And I'm like, I can't remember. And I'm like, he's like, maybe netball when you're a teenager or something, because I play a lot of netball and Mm -hmm. the stuff on the ankles. Anyway, so that took a month. So I I started, it was like two steps forward and one step back. And anyway, once the um, ankle swelling went down and we'd sorted all of that back into it, I got and slowly but surely I'm up to like, so doing a thousand skips in a session, which is great. I do it with weights and, you know, fast and can get going. But I was so all over the shop the first sort of four or five (laughs) weeks. Like, yeah. It was amazing, but the muscle memory was there. It was, and it was hilarious. It was like my body had forgotten how to jump to skip. Yeah, yeah. It was hysterical. The arm bit came easier, yeah. but then once I got going, yeah, I was fine. But it took, you know, and if I do it a couple of times a week, like I'm just. My husband said to me that he goes, "You're like really good at this now. You're like super turbo fast." I'm like, "Hey, thanks." <laughs> but I was not like that last October. Let me tell you, I was like super uncoordinated if anything but it's amazing how yeah you can build it um what you're saying just reminds me a family friend who's a geriatrician I said to him one day like what are your what are your tips for aging and he said keep moving Mm -hmm. keep using that brain don't ever Mm -hmm. stop using it so we laugh because we do the wordle together every day. Like that's our little, have yeah, go yeah, for a yeah. walk, have a coffee, do the wordle, walk home, <laughs> um, morning thing and take the show. I'm like, yeah. oh. So often people will come to you in pain mm-hmm. and pain, you know, from a trauma perspective, we can store a lot of stuff and it can show up as pain. Mm-hmm. So there's like obviously me having my old injury come up and, and that just happens to a lot of us, I think, as we get older and start doing things again. But can you talk a little bit about how the body stores those stresses and traumas as pain and mm-hmm. how, you know, it's confusing, I think, because people can't work out, you know, why I have this debilitating hip pain or why I have this back pain or, and, and I guess what I'm curious about is helping people understand how repressed emotion and all of that can show up as pain. Yeah, absolutely. So the body is a mystical wisdom, wisdom filled vessel. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it just, it really does store our experiences and particularly those unprocessed emotional experiences Mm. they really do tend to get locked particularly in the muscles of the body Mm. uh, more so than the bony structures they they definitely can get stored in the bony structures I do tend to find that if in joints what about in joints like does it move between joints yeah it can generally if it's in the actual bones or the joints uh, it'll tend to be very very old trauma yeah yeah uh, or very significant like very very significant so like um, childhood stuff or like big significant stuff yeah so uh whereas the muscles tend to hold just general I guess emotions that haven't it didn't feel safe enough to engage with or it felt overwhelming or unheard yeah Yeah. those those more I guess common ideas of emotional suppression or trauma and we also find that there's 
often patterns in the body in terms of how it'll store trauma or how it'll store certain certain um, trauma consciousness, if you will. But can so, you give us an example of that? Because so, people will be thinking, what is trauma what is, consciousness? Know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, for example, um, keeping in the theme of emotional suppression, if you will, mm. right up pretty much all the way up at the top of the, the spine, almost where your head meets your skull, yeah. um, the second vertebrae from the top, this particular vertebrae and the muscle bed around will often hold trauma or that consciousness of I'm fine it's okay I'm not going to feel things we're just going to keep going it's all good let's not worry about it just keep going we're fine we're okay that real Mm, like just get on with it just get on with it it'll be fine we don't have to feel anything we don't have to deal with anything Um, and this particular pattern can also then come up with um, you'll find that the person's legs will often be quite wide apart so you'll notice when some people stand they stand with their legs beyond hip width apart like often hip width or beyond yeah it's that stabilization that yeah. we're unconsciously doing from to make myself know that I'm safe and okay yeah it's like I'm going to widen my stance of stability so then I am fine it is okay we're all yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. that's amazing uh and and equally we will find that there'll often be quite a lateral of muscle tension through the body so for me when a client lies down I'll often see particularly through that band where the shoulder blades are Mm. they'll have them lying face down so I'll see through the shoulder blades you'll actually see through their t-shirt or shirt that it's like creating these long horizontal ripples through Mm. the fabric because Mm. there's this huge lateral band of tension Mm. that's often associated with that I'm fine it's okay phase um, Mm. or consciousness in the body um sorry as you're saying that sorry to interrupt I'm thinking of when we're very small when we fall over and the parents say come on get up you're fine you're okay yeah yeah absolutely and and it's those little things you know or even when you are in those moments where you you do engage with quite a strong emotion as a little child and Mm. tears come through or whatever the case is and it's like shh shh, you know you you can't it's you can't be quiet or you know like even that idea of just closing the lid and we're not we're not allowed to feel that um, mm. or it's not appropriate to feel that in front of others or mm. um, at all. Mm. So that can definitely then be essentially harbored in the physiology as this story and as this trauma pattern and this consciousness mm. in the body. Mm. So that's a really quite a common one, or at least when I started my network journey was very common with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can relate to that one. Yeah. What um, else? And another really common phase. I mean, they're all, they're all common or else they wouldn't, they wouldn't really be there, but particularly with the pelvis. Yeah. So through the pelvis, we'll tend to find sits this idea of identity, Yeah. but also who society or our culture, our parents, our family has told us we should be or what yes. we should do yes. or how we should live yes. or how we should be as a woman, how we should be as a man, how we yes. should be as a worker, as an employee, as a um, a mother, you know, like all those stories, internalized yeah. belief systems that we've yeah. inherited yeah. from family and culture. Absolutely. So that really comes up through the pelvis and that will 
generally show up either with a rotation through the pelvis. So one, when you're lying again, face down on the table, one hip will often be higher than the other. Yeah. Uh, equally, there'll be a difference in leg length with that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and generally, um, they'll tend, there can be threads with like a, a crossing over pattern through the body. So this pattern will sometimes almost do like a zigzag through the body. Mm. Um, so there's these common ways in, in how the body presents with these, as I guess I've labeled them as like trauma consciousness. Um, but equally there are very similar or there are common stories that a lot of people will often engage with because yeah, we're human. Like exactly. Even though- and I would imagine this, the latter one, the pelvic one that you mm. talked about, I mean, I don't think there's one human on the planet who doesn't, part of their, totally. their early adulthood, their, I call their first adulthood, is yeah. a projection from their family on how they should be in terms of their career, their family, the, you know, like establishing themselves as an adult in the world. And yeah. I think, you know, I wonder whether a lot of people have a lot of the pelvic tension as they hit midlife because the psyche is like come home to the truth of who you really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I know a lot of women in particular who I've worked with who have gynecological pain Mm. or vaginismus or issues like that Mm -hmm. is a lot of stored repressed emotion in there. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's that's also a a location where a lot of more of that um, sexual or reproductive trauma will tend to sit as well. Is obviously in through that pelvis. Yeah. And so that definitely definitely holds a lot in there as well so much tension yeah yeah, yeah. but just just repressed emotion in general yeah, yeah absolutely. and we kind of know that through yoga don't we like we know in yoga when we do big bends and stretches and we get into the pelvis a lot of stuff starts to come up yeah. we go oh I feel really crap like yeah. I'm feeling my feelings I feel really yeah. crap after that that's what's yeah. going on yeah and that's and that's often an experience that uh, clients will have when they first really start engaging with something like network spinal or integral energetics is they're like oh my gosh my low back has been so sore and I haven't felt that before or I've had these crazy you know neck pain or shoulder pain that I don't normally have because we're, we're really awakening and alivening the the awareness of the body and yeah bringing that brain body connection back online and clearing the communication channels so all of a sudden the messages that have been distorted because of tension because of uh, misalignments through the body because of trauma patterns has softened and it's like oh there's space for me to actually communicate back and forth now and so all these messages that have remained suppressed or dormant in the physical body start to speak Mm. yeah so if you're listening you know, our body picks up so much information. Our, it remembers everything. And our vagus nerve in particular picks up. It's like an, our emotional superhighway. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's different numbers I've seen around this sort of 80%, 90%. But our vagus nerve, like through our nervous system, when we're just interacting with other humans, picks up sort of 80 or 90% more information mm-hmm. and sends it up to our brain than vice versa. So our body remembers everything and it often picks up so much more than our rational and logical brain can hear, see, feel, 
Oh, completely. And and on the thread of things being picked up before we before we're kind of aware of them, if you will, um, our nervous system, obviously, a brain, a nervous system holds such importance in that. But mm. also the subtleties like um, the field around your heart space mm. is another point where your it's another meeting point essentially of mm. between you and your environment. Mm. And there's there's actually some studies that have come through the HeartMath Institute that have shown that our heart space and the field around our heart actually and our and therefore our heart picks up um emotions and reacts to emotion before we cognitively are aware of them yeah that doesn't surprise me at all yeah so it it then I guess makes even more sense that often we find uh, a lot of emotion when there is that suppression of emotion it not only comes up through that that upper neck but also around that heart space which is why there's often that lateral tension through the back of the of the heart through that shoulder blades through the shoulder blades that I was talking about before yeah yeah we hold so much tension I feel yeah you know sometimes I I always think the back of the heart is such an interesting and beautiful place that space in your spine and I um, was talking to another colleague of yours about it one day but I said you know I feel like it's a lot of inner child stuff there it's sort of like the key to our inner child there's like like a keyhole in the yeah. back of our back it's like the key to our inner child experiences sitting in there and she's like yeah I know exactly what you mean and yeah. and how yeah it just can be so much tension there yeah all the time yeah and that that pocket through the spine is often where we will also um hold rigidity when we're not feeling safe enough to be seen mm. for who we are who we mm. truly are our most mm. authentic self Mm. so when there's liberation through that part of the spine it's that real like okay like I can be seen you know I can be heard and I can be met as me not as the stories that I have put out to protect yeah 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 so some people especially people who've got childhood trauma in terms of the vagal break like they might have a big accelerator but they don't have um the break is mm-hmm. not great mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about and I guess this is where the slow is more really yeah. really 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 comes in mm-hmm. um so in somatic experiencing we're taught you know if they don't have a break don't engage the accelerator like you've got to go really slowly like how would you approach uh that because there is a lot there's a lot of people that had really tough childhoods out there yeah Absolutely. And it's, it's also not uh, just individuals who've had tough childhood. Mm, Um, I'll often find that there'll be people who are in that really uh, high pressure corporate role Mm. where they are essentially consistently forced to be in this hypervigilant state of having to make sure they're six, seven steps ahead of where um, of where they presently are yeah to make yeah. sure that they don't encounter you know don't encounter anything or get blindsided by something yeah and these kind of individuals who are really sitting in that accelerant only mode yeah when they get on the table and their body and nervous system starts engaging 
or becoming aware of this easeful parasympathetic break state. Yeah. It's without fail, they immediately will basically fall asleep. Oh, because it's so, yeah, it's so much for them. Yeah. Yeah, so... And, and because their nervous system only ever really engages with even an inkling of feeling that break when they're asleep. That's the only, that's the only point in yeah. their day. Yeah. Where that that like, makes oh. so much sense to me. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I can, I can actually relax and it's just knockout. Like there's, <laughs> there's no, <laughs> there's no in between. So it's either full break or full accelerant. So then it's really about, um, for me, allowing that to happen and for yeah. them to then notice because then they'll sit up and they'll be like, oh, wow, sorry, I fell asleep. Or like, yeah. I almost fell asleep. And I'm like, great, that's amazing. It means that your nervous system was able to pull into that parasympathetic state. And experience that- it's safe to be restful. Yes, yeah. And and up until this point, your nervous system has only really ever experienced that when you've been asleep or on the cusp of sleep. So that's mm. why it went into that state. And that's mm-hmm. okay. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's a normal part of your process in this moment Mm. and you know now the 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 way that we can build on that is by creating more space to press the brake so whether Mm. it means that you implement generally with these kind of settings a standard meditation that you would think of in terms of sit down close your eyes focus on your breath won't really support them or no. support them as well as it's doing... two in their head and they're in their Absolutely. head all the time they're already, they're already there so yeah. they'll just start thinking and then they'll feel like i'm not doing it right this isn't working yeah so yeah because they overachieve at everything and Absolutely. they they've got to knock it out of the park on meditation yeah. too yeah yeah so something more along the lines of like okay i want you to go for a walk in the morning um, or in the afternoon or whatever the case, even, you know, twice a day where you are just focusing on one of your senses. So yeah. whether it be focusing on the felt sense of like the sun or the wind on your skin or whether yeah. it be what you can see or what you yeah. can hear. So you can teaching smell. them to resource themselves basically. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Because that's going to pull them back into the present moment, which yeah. is what they're so resistant to when you're in yeah. that accelerant mode because you're always six steps ahead. Yeah. Um, and it's going to force them to be present with themselves without without being in their head because they're now focusing intentionally on their external environment on one element of that external environment yeah yeah I do a very similar thing pretty much the same thing actually like getting them to do those sensory practices yeah um, as a resource and teaching them what resourcing is and yeah yeah how it builds capacity yeah because I think there's this a bit of a misnomer that you know, meditation is for everyone. And it's like, yes, it is, but you need to find the correct thread or the correct stream for you. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Like I think um, dancing can be meditative. Yeah, right. Uh, I I don't like, you know, normal meditation. (laughs) I just don't like it. I like body-based, I like body meditations. I can I can sit and do anything as long as it brings me back into my body. When I do that, I can, you know, be present. Even if I'm finding myself uh, ruminating at night over mm. something and I'm struggling to go to sleep, my strategy is always to like just scan my body and just go down like every single sensation that I'm feeling, like be present to it, use the felt sense language, describe it, 
And before I get to my hips, I've fallen asleep basically. But like that's what kind of brings me out of my head and into my body. But everyone's different. I find swimming meditative because there's no distraction and I'm using my breath. Mm, Yeah. And I'm just looking at the line and, yeah, off I go. And then I get out. I love the water too. So I get out and I'm like, oh, that was really good. I feel really relaxed and I feel like my body. Yeah, I feel I'm home. Home. Yeah, because our our body is our home. As you, when I first met you, I think you said that to me. This is the house that we live in. <laughs> Very beautiful. Some people in that corporate world, I have noticed, they live in functional threes. Yeah, yeah, they they do. But that's probably that's more of a, in my languaging, I guess, more of a dissociative state. So they almost like green out, if you will. So if you've got someone whose nervous system is really overrun um, and in that, in that accelerant phase, you want, you want to apply and utilize strategies that is going to help them slow down and become more present in the moment. Whereas if you've got someone who is in that dissociative green out sort of phase where they're, they're really pressed the brake and they're quite sluggish, yeah. you then want to engage, you then want to utilize strategies and techniques that help create well, essentially create really like you want to do things that engage their mind and engage their body and, and bring life force back into the body so that it it invigorates them in a way that would not be necessarily beneficial for someone who's in that, in that accelerant. Yeah. Right. So then I can see how I'm just thinking while you're talking you know, I can see for some people why music therapy and art therapy, yeah. like those creative processes, even some people, you know, cooking, mm. right? So anything creative is a really good kind of process just to get them moving yeah, and absolutely. creating. And because there's a lot of, what's the word? There's a lot of nourishment in being creative, isn't there? Yeah. And it's very supportive for your emotional well being. Like you'll actually find that if we are disconnected from our emotional landscape, from our emotional field yeah we our creativity suffers and our motivation suffers yeah so when we're feeling really sluggish and like we don't want to do anything and like we're stuck in our ways or you know turning that around and being like oh well what am I feeling am I feeling yeah (laughs) am I even am I even feeling can I can I feel anything yeah and then recognizing if that's a no well how can we do that well you can watch some hilarious movies maybe or like chuck some something that's going to get you laughing or listening to some really beautiful emotive music or drawing something that is um, enlightening for you, I guess, is going to be more supportive for you than potentially, you know, than potentially going and well continuing to sit in that state firstly Mm. of not of avoidance because that's Mm. what it it really is is avoidance Mm. um but it brings you back into that emotional body and it it essentially plugs you back in so Mm. then that motivation and that creativity comes back online yeah I mean I met a sensory motor psychotherapist this was some years back and she was telling me about um when she was working with people that were really frozen and she gave one example of this person was really struggling to like get the breath moving beyond the diaphragm, Mm -hmm. you know, around the ribs, the diaphragm in the ribs. And she said, do you like singing? And he said, yeah, I love it. She's like, I'd like you to go and take some singing lessons. Yeah. 
And so he didn't have to think about the fact that he was working on this stuff. And he just went off and started having singing lessons and then the breaths just started moving through. Because, of course, when we sing, it vibrates the vagus nerve as well and it kind of kicks in that parasympathetic. And I've never forgotten that. And for me, when I'm, like, feeling a bit anxious or a bit... I'm like, I like to sing and I like to put on the big crooners like Mm -hmm. Billy Joel and Elton John and just like belt it out. And inevitably I will feel fabulous after it. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, through the many lockdowns that we had in Melbourne, that was actually something that I really turned to was singing. Mm. Um, I did a lot of singing through my schooling and through high school and whatnot. I was in the choir, musicals, did lessons, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But through university, and then life as a practitioner, I just haven't haven't really done it as much at mm, all. Mm. But during those lockdowns when they really, it did feel compressing and it did mm. feel like I just couldn't, I wasn't able to connect to people in the way or to life in the way that I've been so used to. Mm. I really did turn back to seeing for, for that reason because it is, it's a whole body experience. It really, it mm-hmm. pulls you into your body, mm-hmm. but it also allows you to outwardly express as well. Mm. So it's this, it's almost like this in out cycle that happens where you're, yeah, like you're pulling in from, in from the field, back into the body, out of the body, into the field. Out, and it's just yes. this flow. That yeah. Happens. I mean, painting is the same for me in yeah. that sort of processing and putting out and yeah with emotions singing I feel is more a physical thing but my husband and one of my sons one of my sons plays five instruments like he's incredibly musical and I see how therapeutic it is for the both of them and I notice with my son when he's just had a day where he gets home from school and he's like he's got you know he's at the the business end of school now where he's Mm. really full on he's in year 11 and he'll be like just sit there and pick up one of the guitars and he'll just start singing and it's just his unwind from the day activity yeah whereas the other one goes and shoots hoops yeah it's the basketball going whatever works absolutely yeah yeah so there are so many simple tools available to us aren't there to stay connected to to resource ourselves and stay connected to our body yeah and it's just about finding what works for you um, and your nervous system in that moment. Like you, mm. you may actually find that depending on what's going on through life, that will change and unfold for you. Uh, and the, the modalities or the threads that you pull on will change. As you change and grow. Yeah. Like there may be moments where you're feeling that real rigidity through your body that can often come through when we are in that overwhelmed state. Mm. And actually potentially doing cold plunges may not be the best thing for you because it's pulling your body back into that defensive state yes or at least not integrating some other modalities before you go into there yeah do that cold plunge you know like you got to support yourself in other ways so that you're not you're not putting an already hyper rigid body into Into a more rigidity yeah into more rigidity and likewise even with like infrared saunas if you're someone who's quite checked out when they get overwhelmed and just kind of dissociates and and pushes on that break to that sluggish slow point yeah sitting in a sauna is probably actually not necessarily the best thing for you in that moment because you're gonna push further into that dissociation in that green out because that's really what that kind of space does yeah yeah so and this is the thing like 
um, cold plungers and saunas. They're amazing, but it's it's about what's right for your nervous system right in that moment. I mean, they're very popular. I'm glad you brought this up. They're very popular at the moment. And I think also a lot of the research is based on male bodies. And I know, you know, mm. our bodies are different when we're fe- in a, live in a female body. Like they're yeah. just in terms of what we can tolerate. And I know as I was going through perimenopause and people were like, do you want to get in the sauna? And I just instinctively went, no way. Like mm. I am like hot all the time. I am not getting in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't feel like the right thing for me to do. But I don't mind, you know, a bit of cold, like I do a bit of a cold blast at the end of each shower. Mm-hmm. And I feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, and you know, there is a lot of research behind, behind infrared saunas and behind cold plungers and yeah, like the dopamine releases that arise as a result yeah. of cold, cold plungers is great. Um, but it depends on your nervous system yeah. and where it's at. Yeah. You know, like I, I've, have felt through people's bodies who are really consistent about cold plunges and the level of rigidity through their nervous system it's like I don't I actually don't think it's serving you in this moment like you actually need to I believe that it can be used more as a defensive dissociative I'm not going to deal with it approach mm. because you're avoiding it essentially mm. versus pulling you back into your body mm um in a in a more mindful way Mm. like something like a gentle meditation or yoga practice would that's going to bring more breath and safety whereas yes okay the point of a cold plunge is you get in and you try and slow your breath and 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 focus it but you're still fighting the the urge for your body to defend the cold without a doubt I know when I have a cold shower I can't do a cold plunge like I'm not good with cold water, full stop. But I, you know, immediately my arms come up like this to protect myself. And I sort of slowly relax and, you know, do my minute. And then I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. But yeah, that completely makes sense what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's just something, like we said, you just got to choose what's right for you in that moment. And, and depending on what's going on for you in your world and how your nervous system is in that moment. Because everyone, we all respond differently. And just because something is right for someone doesn't necessarily mean it will be right in 10 years, in 20 years, or for every other neighbor neighbor on the street. Yeah. Um, and that's where, you know, like don't don't be scared to, particularly with women, we do have a lot, a lot more, you know, a lot more shifts and changes through our lives than yeah. probably what men do, particularly hormonally. And so allowing ourselves to follow that and allowing ourselves when we we do feel that we need to be more gentle with ourselves, to be more gentle with ourselves yeah. in the capacity that we can and not feel like, well, I'm doing a 75-day whatever I don't know, something, you know, and like you're doing F45 every single day for, for 75 days or whatever. Maybe doing an intense, you know, workout whilst you in your menstrual cycle, like in your menses, may not be of service to you in that moment because your body is actually, it's, it's doing a whole bunch of other stuff <laughs> and you throwing on this extra layer of, of stress, even though it's positive stress, it's it's not necessarily needed, you know. Yeah. 
And even from a perspective, we're just drifting off a little bit now, but even from a perspective of food, like we know, particularly with women, there is an actual scientific reason to is why we find that we we just feel like we want to eat more every week yeah, before. It's for hormones. Yeah. Because our body wants to produce the progesterone and it, it needs the insulin to rise in order yeah. for that to happen. It needs the so, sugar. Yeah. That's why so, we all crave chocolate and cake and Yeah. So it's not you know, like you shouldn't feel bad about the fact that you've been following this, this eating plan, if you will. And then the week before your period, you're like, Oh, just, I was fine the last three weeks. Why do I feel like I need to eat everything in the pantry now? It's like, well, it's actually your body's rhythm. It's doing its job. It's cueing you. And so the more that we resist that and the more that we punish ourselves for listening to that, the less service it is you know it's it's a disservice to our own experience yeah. and we're punishing ourselves for our own natural rhythms which is so yeah. sad yeah 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 and even I mean in the same breath um when we when we start to the more we do this work and we're able to track our inner experience and our feelings and all that sort of stuff I I noticed that you know, the, like the nervous system is so sophisticated. And I recently had an experience where a friend passed away after a long battle with cancer and I was feeling really, really sad. But at the start I was feeling a bit frozen about it all and it took me a day or two to just sort of go, okay, she's gone. And um, what when I was sort of coming out of that frozen feeling, <laughs> it's really weird, I was like craving carbs and sugar and then compulsively looking online. And I was like, oh my God, my system is in an avoidance strategy right now. And I grabbed my husband and said, we're going for a walk. We're going down to the oval. I need to lay on the grass. I need to talk about how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm grabbing a decaf coffee. It was three o'clock. I can't have caffeine. <laughs> and we laid there and I said, this is how I'm feeling. And then it all just kind of, you know, yeah. let myself feel it and move on. But it was like, I noticed I'm not a big carb craver generally, mm-hmm. but I was like, oh, oh, I need carbs because I'm not able to sit with what's like coming up for me. And mm-hmm. it was, I was sort of like, God, so good. I've got to do all this work on my nervous system that I can track my avoidance strategy. I can yeah. sort of notice it and go, right, okay. And as soon as I sat down and spoke about it and had a few tears and he was sad that she'd passed away as well and we chat. And then we we're both like, oh, yeah, we feel really good now. And off we went and everything yeah. was fine. But it's, yeah, I say to people, if you need carbs to, before you have a conversation with mum, there's probably something there that's worth paying attention to. <laughs> or even, oh, you know, sure. how we crave caffeine or champagne and things yeah. like that, you know, to yeah. sort of mirror these experiences. Yeah. It's even like, you know, um, going back, I guess, to that car analogy from right at the start of our conversation, you know, you can you can also be slamming on the brake too much as well. So you could be, your body could have exited onto the M1 and you should be going at hundred kilometers per hour, but you're going at 40 because you don't want to, yeah. Don't want to feel the feelings. Yeah. yeah, So there's that too. So I think that's what was happening to me. I was just, but it was very unconscious and, but I was aware of the, like, okay, I'm feeling a bit spaced out and foggy. Mm -hmm. So I was aware of the freeze and I was just kind of, just kind of being okay with it yeah and that's it it's it's a lot of a lot of the work is in actually being okay with being and not 
not feeling like we have to fix or change or push yeah you know it's just okay this is how I'm feeling in this moment and that is okay and allowing ourselves to fully engage with that and then keep going you know rather than trying to draw it out because we don't want to feel it yeah rather than sitting in it indefinitely because we don't want to know what's on the other side of it this has been such a great conversation thank you so much for coming and talking today you're most welcome how do people find you so you're in parkdale yeah in melbourne parkdale yeah um nestled between mentone and mortialic um and I'm working out of Soul Athletic in Parkdale yeah. at the moment. Um, yeah. Probably Instagram at uh, drcatherine.theodosis would be the best way to tag along and yeah. get all the information. Because you do otherwise, great posts. Oh, thanks. And otherwise, my website, theenergychiro.com. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. You are very welcome. <laughs>